today's teaching text is from Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. That can be found on page 1079 of your Shed Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the, the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. <clears throat> if we haven't met, my name is Tim, and I get to be one of the pastors here. So welcome here and our friends uh, joining online. <clears throat> Pardon me. I found myself with uh, something in my throat as we were singing. So we'll, we'll figure that out as we go, but sorry. <clears throat> also, give me that. <clears throat> Got it. Okay. Thanks, Bill. I mean, these guys are on it. They do a great job, by the way. Um, Say, this past week, uh, my family and I celebrated 10 years as an adoptive family. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah it's, a, it's a really profound thing that uh, I never would have guessed how it would have affected our parenting, our faith, our careers, and so many other aspects of our life. And it has been profoundly powerful. But it, as my wife and I were reflecting a little bit on uh, 10 years ago, what this was like before our, our first, our oldest child is, is adopted. So we had no parenting experience outside of uh, some foster care we'd done prior to that. And so we're preparing for this occasion to welcome our son into our home. And we do a lot of reading and a lot of waiting and even more waiting. And in the middle of that, we um, stumbled upon a, a few things. One of those things is a time when an adoptive child comes into your house, you want to give that t uh, relationship time to nurture and connect. And so some people call this cocooning, right? You kind of go into the little cocoon, we're like, sorry friends, family, this is just our time as a family to, to become a family, to develop new bonds, new reliance, new security. And during that time, and in the preparation for that time, I'm recognizing as something is growing in me as a parent, saying, I would do anything in my power and anything outside my power to let you 
child, know that you are loved and secure and that this is your home, your family, and you can grow up in that confidence. And some of the theory behind this is something called attachment or attachment theory. Now, you you may have heard of this professionally and know far more than me, or this may be a new concept to you. We're not going to go that deep, but it is a profound thing. And it can be simply defined in this way as a lasting psychological connectedness between human beings that happens most often with infant and primary caregiver or caregivers, but it's not limited to that. And it's something that can grow over our lives and adapt through our lives. And so as adoptive parents, we're trying to be really keyed into this because this is a biological imperative. This sense of connection nurtures security and safety. It's your home base. And while for many of us, this was not done perfectly and is a messy thing, it's a reality that undergirds all of our social relationships and even put points at our relationship with God. And so this thing, this attachment, is a beautiful, miraculous thing. And it's one of those places where our uh, neurological reality comes together with our life and faith in a way that's like, whoa, that is profound. So if you're somebody who are like, oh, that's, that's intriguing, I just invite you again to our learning lab uh, tomorrow night. We're going to take a look with some, some great uh, local friends of ours, podcast hosts of the Embodied Faith podcast at the Neuroscience and Spiritual Formation Intersection. So just invite you uh, to that. We're going to be here tomorrow night at 6.30 if this thing percolates with you. But even if you don't come to that, these are some of the things that are undergirding our reality, our social relationships. Attachment. Security, soothing, somebody knowing, not just logically, oftentimes not logically, but knowing in their very being, in their brain and body that I am loved and secure. When you have a secure base to come back to, you're able to develop in life. A, a child who has a healthy attachment, secure attachment, is able then to confidently go into the world knowing that there's a place and a person in which do they belong. And then therefore engage in the world confidently. Now, for us as adoptive parents, this is a lot of work. And we would Again, try and do anything so that a child, and this is any child, would know that there is a place, that they are not a second-class citizen, that there's no fighting and wondering, do I belong here? We're trying to do everything we can. So they're not waiting for the other shoe to drop or something else to happen, that, that they're not sure about their place in the family. And this is also every family as well. And beneath that is this thing called attachment. And we'll come back to that. Because if we extrapolate out this concept of security, confidence, and attachment, we begin to ask some bigger questions. Because we too, I think, can live as unsecure, insecure children of God. Even behind what we sing is that I am a child of God, and that there is nothing we can do to flee from our belonging in Christ, if you're like me, 
can oftentimes live with a sense of dis-ease or ill-fittedness, wondering beneath all this, do I actually belong here? Is, can these people be my people? You know what, maybe, maybe at some point this is all gonna change. Can I have access to the full blessings of God? Is, is, is that for me, truly? Or is God just saying nice things to me temporarily? And these are subconscious. We can speak the creed and sit and learn and yet have a wondering underneath. Is this for me? Am I secure in God? So I think what we find in the book of Ephesians at the very beginning is both cure and counter-narrative to this very wondering and terrifying curiosity that we find within ourselves. So we'll get there in just a second. First, we're going to take a look at the book of Ephesians as a whole. This is a fascinating work. Now, we call it a book, which means it has an author. It's probably a scroll, and it's written by uh, this guy named the Apostle Paul. Oftentimes, we can say Paul kind of flippantly, like, yeah, Paul said this, and Paul said this, you know, but you know, who is this dude? He's a, a Jewish rabbi, incredibly well-learned, and he has this confrontation, this conversion experience to Jesus in which he goes from someone who was persecuting, uh, killing, hunting down Christians to saying, Jesus is the one, Jesus is the way, and becomes a leader and church planter and disciple maker in the early Christian movement. Now, he's writing to people in Ephesus, this city where all sorts of uh, cultures come together. And he's writing to this diverse new church whom he loves saying, hey, there's a way that you get to live as a new humanity, fully alive in Christ in a way that differs from all those around you. And that's where this letter is going. But we say letter, now it has some weighty content in it. Now, how many emails do you send in a week? If you're an emailer, some people aren't emailers, but you know, we're talking 25, 30, 50, 100, some people maybe more, bless you. Letters were a little more rare in the first century. There was something you had to want to say. You had to be a motivated writer because this was an investment of time and money. How many emails would you send if each of them cost $250 to send? Yeah, right, not not too many. And so the the book of Ephesians, the scroll of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians has a little over 3,000 words in it. Now this is long for the time. The average length of a first century letter in the Roman world is about 87 words. And even those with some time and, and privilege to write words, like let's say Cicero, whose average was 278 words in a letter, right? We have Paul, who's writing a 3,000-word letter here, a 7,000 one in Romans. Yep, I'm looking at my scholar over here. A 7,000-word letter in Romans. He's got something to say, and it really matters because we would translate uh, that this letter probably cost maybe $1,000 to assemble and write and send and deliver. What Paul has to say is not just an email. In fact, this book has a particular tone to it. 
We get this guy, Paul, writing a lot of our New Testament, and he has a different tone to each letter. The tone of Ephesians is not like that of Galatians. Who, what has bewitched you people? Come on. Or Philippians, where it's just joy and jubilance. Ephesians has a tone. There's an urgency to it. Right? It's, it, it's, it's as if the author is coming through excitedly saying, you've got to know this. This is life-changing. This is critical. But not in a way that you see that on TV or TikTok, right? Stop scrolling now. Your life is about to change with these nine life hacks, right? That's, that's not the thing here. We're talking about someone who we would receive as a trusted mentor who knows you, cares about you, is wise, and is saying, you can't miss this. This journey that you are about of following Jesus to be fully alive, you can't miss what I'm about to put in front of you. This is critical. And I think that comes to bear right at the beginning of this particular letter, this urgent tone that's saying, you don't want to miss this thing. So let's get into the text. Let's look at this one. This is Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. He starts off with a little greeting prior to this. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm writing to the faithful in Ephesus. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes into this beautiful, rich writing. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. What we see here, though a portion of our teaching text, and at the very beginning of chapter one, sets the stage with a key metaphor for where we're going and how Paul wants his audience to interact with this letter, something they've got to get clear on. Because what comes later, both in chapter one and in the rest of the letter, are all these huge life-changing things. Forgiveness, riches of grace, the mystery made known that we are sealed and secured in our inheritance, that we have access to every spiritual blessing, that we can be fully alive in Christ, and that we are part of the new humanity that is in and through Christ, through the power of the Spirit and the resurrection. These are huge things. And so Paul takes a little bit here in verses three through six and says, but first to actually lay hold of this. You have got to get this uh, straight. Because what's happening too, even later on with all these blessings in the letter, is that there's challenges. There's like, how do you work through being a diverse community? A racially reconciled community, a, a community that's from all different economic states and classes, coming from all sorts of careers and places. How do you do figure that out? How do you be that together, right? Imagine, also, that Paul is going to challenge these people to say, there's some of these blessings that you're free to do and imbibe in Christ that you're going to set aside, that you're going to take less of so that the world can know and see my glory in a particular way, in a particular place. Now, imagine asking a child, maybe someone who is insecure in their relationship to the family, not confident in the everlastingness of God's love to say, you know what, all the, all the other kids who live in the other houses, those they're going to get gifts, but you're not going to get this one this time. How do you think that goes over? Yeah, not great. 
not great at all. But if someone who is confident and secure in God's love for them is invited to say, could you set aside this thing for a time, for this good thing? They have the security and confidence to say, yes, I can. And so this is the countercultural community that Paul is challenging and trying to form here. And that takes a security and an attachment and a confidence that we need to have. And that's what he's getting at from the jump here. So we're going to look back at this text here, three through six. There's some repetition here, and this is where the key comes in. Uh, go to the next slide. We see underlined here so many Christs. Lots of the use of Jesus Christ, right? How is this thing happening? In Christ, in Christ, through Christ, in the beloved. There's something happening and it is directly tied to the power of God. The power of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. As a baseline understanding, Paul is speaking to this audience. Say, listen, you're not the one making this happen, right? It, it's great. The other, somebody was like, hey, would you ever go on a cruise? I was like, yeah, I'll go on a cruise. Sometimes in the summertime, we have a, we have a little old boat that we motor through the lake on sometimes. I like to drive this boat. I like to be in charge, see where it's going to keep people safe. And so somebody said, would you like to go on a cruise? Yeah. And I was like, but you can't drive the boat. I was like, yeah, yeah. And that didn't sit with me right away. This is, I think, what Paul is doing and say, listen, you don't get to drive, which also means you can't make the mistake. You can't earn it. You're not in control of this work. God is. So he's making very clear from the beginning that all that is about to follow is the work of God. Father, Son, and Spirit working in unity. This is not up to you. And then we get the central metaphor that I think this whole text pivots off of. This is the adoption. Now, there's a couple words that Paul could use here in the Greek language for adoption into a family. In Ephesians, Romans, Galatians, he uses a particular Greek word that means to securely place a child, or in this case, place a son, because that's how the inheritance worked in this case. But he's also speaking this to an audience that is not just male, male and female together, and saying, this is, this is for you. So there's, this alludes to a particular type of adoption in the Roman world, which was actually familiar. So often we're like, Roman world sucks, we don't need them. Actually, one thing they got right was some of their adoption practices. Now there's two, two options in this case, and Paul is pointing to one of them, which is where the child or adult was fully brought into the family, locked in, and all the legal status, rights, and inheritance were conferred upon that person in perpetuity, forever, not temporary. No matter the size of the inheritance, power, or wealth, they are in. And there's actually ways that these people would say like, oh, I've seen that work. The Emperor Augustus did that when he couldn't find an heir. He adopts Tiberius to say, you will then be emperor of the known world. It actually functions. That these people say, oh, I'm, I get that metaphor. It happened, it's happening. 
I can be fully locked in. And Paul is saying this to a group of people who are gathered together from all corners of the known world, all different uh, faith traditions and paganism coming to this new reality in Jesus Christ, male, female, Jew, Greek, new believer, new convert, those who've been following Jesus in community for a while, some who are able-bodied, some who are not, to say, listen, you are all adopted into Christ forever with all rights and all privileges and all inheritance, that this new family is yours. Saying that this is for you. Now, as an adoptive parent, as I told you, someone who's trying to say, you are in no matter what. And as any parent would say, I want my children to be secure and know that there is a rock solid base and foundation and you know you are loved and this is for you. You are not a guest in this house. That's what Paul is saying. That you need to start from a place of recognizing that you are loved and known and secure and you can do nothing to break outside of that. In fact, he goes on, this is verse 13 of the text you read, and say, you are sealed into this reality with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that we'll see later on in this chapter is in you and at work in this. Before we could even say or speak or recognize the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been at work in you and is wooing you into this faith. And so the thing that Paul is locking us into, reminding us, is full access to the triune God. In fact, what's happening here is Paul is saying, you are in the family of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and into the loving dance and the overflow of joy that is that Spirit is what we are called to be full participants in. We we have fridge rights in the house. You're not a guest. He's beginning this letter to say, you are not temporary. You belong, not just in this physical house, but in the reality of the basis of the universe, in the Trinitarian God. You belong and are a part for no merit of your own, which also means you can't change it with anything you do. You belong and are in. So, in the words of maybe the prodigal father, if you will, my child, all I have is yours. That is the beginning of this letter to the Ephesians. Paul saying, you've got to get this part right. That while we look like we are from all corners of the world and all walks of life and ages and abilities and stages, etc., there is no hierarchy. Everybody is a part of this family with equal standing and full inheritance and full access. So, there is nothing to be anxious about in the changes in God's posture towards us. God is not changing God's mind about you. Your status in this family is not temporary. All of us 
working this out, but I would want you to leave without any question or doubt that scripturally and theologically, there is no thing you can do to find yourself outside of your security in Jesus. That you are in and there is no doubt and no verdict that is waiting on your belovedness in Christ. As a full adopted member of Jesus Christ, you have access to every spiritual blessing, Paul says. And while there's too much fruit to count as what comes out of this reality, there's a couple things that I think we can highlight as a community. As those who are saying we are stepping into the reality that is our adoption and inheritance in Christ. There's there's, there's two things that I think we want to highlight as being some fruit of this. One, well, they are some chutzpah and humility. Some of the fruit of this reality that we get to live into. Now, chutzpah, you can say it starts with an H, H, whatever. Chutzpah, what is this thing? What is this thing? It is this, uh, almost like what could come across as a brash confidence. Those people in scripture who are so secure in their belief and attachment to God that they are like Ruth, who is saying to Naomi, her then adopted mother, saying, your people are going to be my people. Where you go, I will go, and I'm going with you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. That's the kind of chutzpah from maybe someone who would appear subservient to the matriarch was saying, I'm not leaving you. Because I am that confident in God's love for me. Or Jacob, the one who wrestles with God in the book of Genesis who clings to the leg of who he is reaching, uh, wrestling, and says, I'm not letting go until you bless me. That's some chutzpah. Who's saying that kind of confidence. And friends, that's our invitation as part of this equation. To be a people who, because we know deep in our being, even though we are working our way through working that out, but we know with confidence and security that we belong to God and there is no question about our inclusion in Christ's love, that we get to be those with some chutzpah in the world, who walk confidently, who laugh in the face of fear as Delwin was inviting our children to consider, to say the one who is with us is greater than those who are against us. That's the kind of confidence we are invited to at the beginning of this book of Ephesians. Because those are the people who are going to be able to lay blessing aside temporarily, who are going to give a testimony to the waiting world, who are going to stand up to the pagan cults in their area and say, this is how we will walk confidently together. So that is an invitation that comes from this fruit, my friends, that we can be that kind of confident and secure community who's able to say, I'm not letting go till you bless me, Lord. You have called me to this place and I am not leaving. You have made us a church in this place and this time and we are gonna doggedly hang on trusting in your promise and calling on your gifts and power because this is who you have made us and called us to be. So that's a little bit of what we're called in this text to be. There's also the fruit of humility that comes out of this. Folks will say that those who find part of the attachment 
uh, attachment love we see, this fierce bondedness, is that one can be comforted, re-secured and soothed, and therefore be confident in the world. And so we are also those who can be humble in the world because we are confident in where our strength comes from. Imagine that. This is Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters that are too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother. We are those who are also held by God, calmed, soothed, secure, resulting in humility in the way we're able to walk. That we can be a people together who walk with humility into the room as listeners, peacemakers, where we can say nothing is off the table because God has called us and comforted us so I can humbly engage in this conversation. We can be those who are able to speak lavish compassion, to hold our opinions loosely enough for the spirit to speak and move. We can be those who are seeking transformation in the midst of conflict because we have the confidence and the humility that comes with being deeply held and loved by God. No conversation is off the table for us. We can hold that tension with our humility and confidence. So then what do we do? There's a vision for some of this fruit and it will be fulfilled more in the coming chapters of Ephesians of our next couple weeks. There's a reality that Christ meets our deep longing to be known and loved and secure and attached to the God of the universe, but how do we step into that as a community? I trust that the Spirit is at work and there's a number of ways and things that the Spirit has poked at in the last few minutes for you. But one invitation, a small practice this week, comes out of Psalm chapter one, where we get a piece of this text. It says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law, the Lord who meditates on his law night and day. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. A vision of rootedness, security, confidence in this tree. This is the fruit of one who meditates on the word night and day. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is to pray from a particular prayer word. Father Martin Laird encourages this in some of uh, his writings um, to spend time in Ephesians 1 this week. Ask the Spirit of God to draw your attention to a particular word or phrase and then pray from that. Use that as a central piece and a springboard to simply pray. Now, this could be as simple as saying inheritance sealed by the spirit to repeat that word in the silence and say lord what do you have for me in this and as your mind wanders come back to the word as an anchor maybe the word is beloved in the middle of this chapter i am your beloved i am your beloved speak lord for i'm listening and to return to the prayer word and then say, Lord, what do you have for me from this? In this type of repetition and 
comfort and confidence in this type of prayer, I think the Spirit of God wants to speak to us as beloved children, to speak words that continue to woo us into deeper sense of security and knownness and confidence as God's people. So that we can operate as full children of God with access to every blessing and power of God is ours. All things I have are yours, says the Lord. And if that's our starting place, that kind of attached confidence that we are not temporary wards of God, but those who are wrapped up into the, the divine life of the triune God as full participants in Christ through Christ, then life looks a little different. We can come to the king's table and eat confidently and freely because this is not something you're a simple guest at. This meal is for you. All of life, as Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing is for you. And so we come and we take and eat with confidence the God who has begun a good work in us, the book of Philippians says, is faithful to complete it. And so we rejoice and pray and we eat together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Lord, we give you great thanks for you have called us in and secured us for eternity. And so we give thanks to you. It is our good and joyful privilege to do so at all places and in all times. For you are God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And therefore, we praise you. We join our voices, Lord, with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so God, as your spirit is inhabiting our praises and our prayers and our longings, would you send your spirit upon this meal that you would do in the gathering and distribution of this bread and of this cup, the thing which we can't do ourselves. Would this be unto us the communion of the body of Christ and through this meal, would you remind us of your abundant and lavish goodness and your provision that is always there and always faithful. And would you bestow upon us the confidence of your spirit. Fill us afresh this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so it was Jesus, as he gathered his disciples around him, the night in which he was betrayed, as if to offer them one more visual of that he is giving all of himself so they can have all of himself and all of the life of God. He takes the bread and he breaks it. 
He says, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they'd eaten together, been provided for, Jesus takes the cup. He pours it saying, this is my blood. This is the promise, the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so we do. We have tables around this room to come and take and eat and be blessed. You can come and receive from communion servers up front here. This is a chance for you to pray whether silently or write prayers in the prayer walls and know that you will be prayed for. Maybe it is to be physically with presence prayed over this morning. We have Brian is in the back and prayer stations in the back. People who wish to pray with you and for you. May you not leave. May you leave with no doubt about your security and belovedness in God. And so we, in doing so, we rehearse the story. We say it together, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So come, friends, and receive who you are, the body of Christ.